Ladies and gentlemen, sorcery. Stunt Rock. It's superhuman. Super music. Super magic. And super amazing. You'll be compelled over the edge of sight and sound. And under the spell of mind-boggling action and music, push to the danger zone. It's a death wish at 120 decibels. Welcome back to the Bloody Pit. It is uh, finally time, folks. My name is Rod Barnett, and I am here to tell you that we are going to be covering Stunt Rock. Not because I want to, but because I am being held at gunpoint. <laughs> to my left <laughs> is the man who initiated this nightmare, Bobby Hazard. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. I, I can't believe we're finally doing this. The day has come. I have Next off, grunt. <laughs> yeah, yes, I have, I have put it off as long as humanly possible, and now it's no longer, it's no longer viable. To my right, God save us, Mr. John Hudson. How are you, sir? I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go. Start rocking. <laughs> I'll be attaching the electrodes to his scrotum soon. Tonight, we talk about a movie that may or may not actually be a movie. Stunt Rock from 1978, described by some as a film, described by others as a mockumentary, described by some as two things that don't taste great together, or do they? Described by me as the greatest party movie ever. Now that we can agree on. I will say that having come to this film years ago with much trepidation and much lust in my heart for what it could be. And years ago? This is days ago. I've no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. When I first saw it, it was years ah, ago. I see. When it was shown, I caught a viewing of it on uh, Turner Classic Movies. No, I'm just saying that you've railed against this oh, movie. I've railed against this movie ever since okay. I first saw it. Yeah. I don't want you to suddenly be like, oh, I love this. <laughs> nay, okay. Nay, nay. You're not, you're, you're not going to get the word love out of me. You're going to get the word enjoyment. That I'll hand it. Okay. But, Stunt Rock is a strange melding of two different things trying desperately to create a third. It is part documentary, 
or mockumentary because the docu the, the thing that it's documenting isn't really real. There is no television show that Stuntman Grant Page is coming to L.A. to be a part of. That's fictional. But all of the stunts that you see him perform in this film are real. Even the ones that were done before they started filming this show, filming this particular movie. And it's very obvious that seeing all of the performances that we see of a particular rock band in this film, and all that's real too, even though they did very cleverly fake up the venue so that it looks like it looks like a real venue. It's supposed, it, it supposed to be the L.A. Forum, but I think they did Culver Sound Studios. Or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. They rented out a place. They did a good job, though. Yeah, they really did, because it looks... I mean, you, you can't tell from the way it's edited that it's not a real no, venue. It, yeah. it, 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 it looks amazing. Well, the so, guy who edited this movie also wound up editing Spinal Tap a few years later. Ah, yeah. So you can, and you can kind of tell when you think about it that way. There's a lot of the same sort of cuts and what mm-hmm. it's put together. Mm-hmm. It does a good job. But he worked under an alias because this is a non-SAG oh, movie. Yeah. Yep. Not, not, non-union movie altogether, actually. Yeah. yeah, which is how they ended up with uh, using the groundlings for uh, to, to recruit a bunch of different mm-hmm. actors to be in the film because they could work outside the, the, SAG, the, the SAG requirements. And uh, that's how you end up with a little cameo that you have to blink. If you blink and you miss, you see Phil, Phil Hartman in a background shot a couple of times, and that's about it. And you also have uh, Yanni Nirvana. She's in it a bunch. Yep, very true. The... Let's start here. Dear Bobby, mm-hmm. Bobby, sir, mm-hmm. tell me now, what is it that you love about this film quite so much? Well, I'll actually talk about my history with this film. Okay. Tell us about your history with Stunt Rock. So, so as we know, uh, back over 20 years ago, well, even including 20 years ago, I used to be a Weird Wednesday regular down in the draft house. Okay. So uh, Lars uh, used to always introduce the movies. And I just remember one time he was like talking about the movie and he goes, and we're going to play it. Somebody just goes, Stunt Rock! He goes, yes, we're going to play the Stunt Rock trailer. And I'm like, what is this, pray tell? I have never heard of this movie before. And so when they start playing the trailers for Weird Wednesday, of course, they get Stunt Rock. And I'm like, I need to see this movie so bad. How long was it after seeing the trailer that you finally saw the film? Um, I think I rented it from I Love Video because somehow they had it. And here's the weird thing: the first time I saw it, I didn't really care for it that much. Okay, was well, I'm, I'm assuming that it was not a widescreen print. Uh, it's been so long I couldn't even remember. Um, but they ended up playing at the Alamo Village, and I wanted to give it another shot. And okay. from that point in time, I was in love with the movie. I can only imagine what this was like on a big screen. Though. Oh, it's so amazing. I, th- I think that's what I really needed to push me over to loving the movie as much as I do these days. I understand. I understand. Now, here's the thing. Um, what? Okay, the, this is very much a movie of two different halves. There is the watching Grant Page, the amazing Australian stuntman, do completely batshit crazy things. Mm-hmm. And then there is witnessing the onstage performance of the band Sorcery from Los Angeles. Um which is your favorite portion of the film? What do you enjoy rewatching more? That's a good question. Um, I love both parts equally. There, when we get to the movie, there, after multiple rewatches of this movie, there is some sorcery stuff that starts to drag a little bit. A little bit. And about three quarters of the way through the movie, 
but it's still fun. Like if you you know you're initially watching it, you don't think about it, but now you're like, oh, that song just lasts too long. But <laughs> well, but the thing is, the the songs often last too long because they're 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 building those songs out yeah. to accommodate the the on screen. Uh, activities of the the two warring wizards, yeah. and so there's a part of that that kind of plays into it being almost soundtrack music being performed live on stage. Yeah, you are 100 percent correct. Uh, honestly, it, it, it for me, it's just a thing where I just feel like a little kid going, "This is so fucking cool." <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, pretty much it, as, as over the years, I've introduced so many people to this movie, and they just think the same thing on first watch. What am I watching? This is so amazing. That's got to be your first reaction to it. Because it really is... It's that old phrase, uh, neither fish fish nor fowl. You don't know what it is. And it's almost as if, especially when you listen to the director, Brian Trenchard Smith, who came up with the whole idea for the damn thing. In the shower. In the shower. That's where your best ideas happen. He, He Honestly, he often doesn't really know... When they were making it, he wasn't sure exactly it was going to turn out, what it really is. He has often described it as the worst movie I've ever made. And people, this is a man who made two Leprechaun sequels, so you need to keep that in mind. By the way, let's talk about Brian Trenchard Smith. Mr. Hudson. Yes, sir. You and I have talked about Brian Trenchard Smith on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we, talk, we, uh, we, we covered one of our favorite Brian Trenchard Smiths here on the on this particular podcast, we talked about Turkey Shoot. Long time yes. back. Yes. Love that movie. It is a blast. Hard to take seriously a lot of the time, but then again, all that boils down to lack of budget every time. But it is thoroughly entertaining from beginning to end, and there's no way around the fact that it's an actual movie. It has a real plot, a true narrative, a story, and actors. I'm not sure yeah, that but any all, of those things are present in Stunt Rock. All that's overrated, really. <laughs> <laughs> you may be right, sir. I'm not positive. Just just think about when the movie was shot. 1978. Oh, yeah, certainly. Two big things you had in the late 70s. You had Evil Knievel and you had big. Kiss. Now, and, and this really kind of is a melding of a version of Kiss stage antics and even the kind of musical style to a certain degree. Yeah. And... The utter 70s fascination with public daredevils. Evil can evil being the most obvious and the most prominent. So anybody who was willing to, I don't know, hang from their dick from a flagpole was going to get some kind of attention in the 1970s because for whatever reason, much like the mysterious desire to try to track down Bigfoot that started big time in the 70s, daredevils and the 70s went hand in hand. And you could not escape that decade without at least having a minor fascination with it the Bermuda Triangle, and who knows, maybe Noah's Ark. <laughs> so, Evil Knievel fits right into this this whole 70s thing. If this had been made even, I gotta be honest, if this was made even two years later, it wouldn't have the same feel. And it wouldn't have the, the, the kind of the Evil Knievel overhang that really kind of fuels what's going on here, because there was a certain public desire to see this kind of stuff that I don't think lasted much into the 80s at all. Yeah, I was about to say by 82 yeah. or so, that all that kind of fizzled out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that I was think gone. The last gasp of that was on, like, that's incredible. And I was, shows mm-hmm. like that's that. exactly yeah, what yeah. I was about to say, that's incredible. And I think the earliest TV show they had was Danger Seekers. Remember, there was a clip from that in right. Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, yeah. That stuntman in Kentucky Fried Movie that did that dangerous stunt yes. in the alley with the guys yes. playing dice. Yes. 
Now that's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Violent, dirty, deadly comedy. Yes, exactly. But nevertheless, this was a weird thing that cropped up in the 70s. Uh, something that I don't know if it necessarily needs to come back. I think that the, the closest equivalent to that over, the, over the, the decades since the 70s was watching the antics of Super Dave. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was really playing heavily into the idea of public daredevils, of staging these huge, ridiculous stunts and filming them. And, of course, the, the joke of Super Dave is it always goes completely fucking wrong, and he ends up you know, crushed or mutilated or you know, in some dire straits that ends up putting him in the hospital in some hideous fashion. This is not, luckily, what happens to Grant Page, but we do see him... I, I, my favorite parts of the movie always do boil down to watching Grant Page actually do real, no shit, dangerous stuff. And watching he, him he dangle got injured off, a few yeah, times, yeah, yeah. I mean, watching him dangle off a car and transferring from one car to another while they're going like fifty miles an hour—that to me is exciting stuff. This is the seventies. There's, there's no wire work. There's no CGI. There's nothing other than just trying your best to try to figure out the easiest, safest way to do this completely batshit thing and then just going out and doing it. And especially if you're, you're in Australia, it, it is going to be the cheapest way possible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe in America they have more safer ways of doing it. Australia, they're just going to do whatever the fuck they want to do. <laughs> what was it to... There, there was a there was a joke one director said is like find a find a country that where the stuntmen drink a lot and mattresses are cheap just go to town <laughs> and where all the wild wildlife wants to kill you <laughs> well there's that welcome to the Philippines I guess <laughs> true. Australia too <laughs> in South so, America where they shot snuff <laughs> oh god <laughs> where life is cheap <laughs> you're not you're not allowed to speak of snuff that film. A film it cuts to the bone. I can't talk about. That's it. real. Makes me makes me feel like I'm talking about some place that probably you know probably probably killed real people, if we're lucky. Now, real people was on NBC. That's incredible. <laughs> it was opposite. It was That's ABC, incredible. Yeah. Of course, yes. How can I forget? So, here's the thing. If we haven't already made this obvious, this is a movie of two halves merged together. Part of it is watching Grant Page do batshit crazy stunts. Uh, the other half is watching an L.A.-based band called Sorcery perform live on stage. And then there's some pretty cool action. I, I gotta admit, I could have handled more of the behind-the-scenes conversations with the band. Because it always the, the, what we get in the movie is pretty interesting. Yeah. I, li- I like talking to those. I like the, the, the conversations with those guys where they're talking about both the stage show and kind of things that inspire them. And the nice thing about that is a lot of that was just improv. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you can almost tell tell the difference between the scripted stuff and the improv stuff that they did. When they're at that party and they're all gathered around that grand piano and they're just shooting the shit and talking about different things, that could have gone on for another 10 minutes and I've been happy. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it really is. So That's one thing the movie, I think, doesn't do a favor for for sorcery is a lot of the stuff it's hard to keep magic interesting when you're having cutaways because yeah yeah you know it's like well they could have easily substituted something there or whatever but and yeah. also you know some of the close-ups you're, you're seeing it more than you should be so some of the illusions don't work quite as well but still i would have loved to have seen this act live oh certainly and it's a shame there's not like a full-length sorcery concert that was filmed and you know van halen opened up for them Really? Yes. Well, that's the way it should have been. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. 
Uh, sorcery you now you you can you can fill me on that. Sorcery has recently uh, reformed, correct? Yeah, um, uh, they they signed to uh, Riding Easy Records, who reissued the first record. I believe they're going to do the second record as well. I know they just today or yesterday put it out on digital platforms, which is Sorcery Two. Okay. Um, and they have, I think, all the original guys. So you know, original singer, bass player, guitar player, drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the, the guitar player who was the main mover and shaker as far as songwriting is concerned, if memory serves. Yeah, Smokey the, Smokey Huff is that the stage uh, name? Uh, Smokey Huff, aka stage name, aka <laughs> Richard Smokey Taylor. So uh, before he was yes. in, before he was in Sorcery, he played with. Members of Frank Zappa's Mothers of Invention. Yeah, yeah. Rare Earth, Vanilla Fudge, Legs Diamond, Naz, and many others. Uh, as soon as I read that he'd worked with uh, Frank Zappa's Mothers of Invention as a guitarist, I was like, oh shit. Well, there's a certain level beneath which he cannot go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's obviously got some talent. No, uh, the drummer ended up, which was a surprise to me when I was doing my research, uh, the drummer uh, uh, Perry Morris, who looks like one of the guys from Riptide. <laughs> yeah, he does, does with the mustache. He? Yeah, <laughs> he he wears a top hat well though. Yeah, the hat is bald. That's exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, he was working as an in-house studio musician at Universal Studios when the Sorcery Guys called him up to join the band. He handled business for the band, utilizing business background and industry contacts. He booked all the Hollywood whiskey, Roxy, and Starwood shows for the band. Yeah, he yeah. then secured a management deal for Sorcery with William Nelson, owner of. Or management, I don't know. That is in Beverly Hills. Uh, William Nelson obtained a stunt rock movie record deal for the band. Morris booked the band for two Dick Clark TV special shows, 1982 and 1983. For and then in 1983, he made the Rocktober Blood movie deal for the band. So basically, the drummer turns out to have been oh. a major mover and shaker in keeping the band Wait. moving forward. I take it back. Morris is dead. He died in March 2020. I did not. Re- I totally yeah, forgot. I, about I knew. That. That, I knew that he didn't. He, he wasn't part of the the current lineup. I think there are only two. Am I am I wrong? If there are two two original members, Smokey Huff, two or and, three. I think the singer's back. I know. The, I know. I know the bass player and Smokey are definitely back together. Um, and they had the best hair. Oh yeah, they definitely had those uh, those seventies perms. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, my memory is always that the real the, the the kind of hair that they're sporting in this movie was really kind of an eighties invention, and I have to admit, I was wrong. Clearly, by seventy eight, that kind of hair where it looks like somebody accidentally electrocuted somebody was already in evidence. So, or as uh, Andrew Dice Clay used to call it, the wind tunnel tested hairdo. <laughs> There's that. There is that. It certainly looks that way. Um, so the, the members of uh, Sorcery for uh, this movie is Richard Smokey Taylor, Richie King. Uh, uh, sorry, Smokey played guitar and keyboard. Yeah. Uh, Richie King played bass. Uh, Greg Maggie was on vocals. Uh, Perry Morris on drums. And uh, not on the album, but uh, in the movie, Doug Locke on keyboards, the mysterious masked man who... Has a, has a number of masks. Who has a number of masks. He's like he, a Mil Mascaris. Yeah, he really a is. A professional wrestler who was not in Grunt, but yes. could have been. Well, God save us from that. Well, you know, he did quit after the movie, so there's that possibility. He they could have been in Grunt, the wrestling <laughs> and you know what? And, it and we never saw his face. And he so. could have been Mil Mascaris. <laughs> yeah, he could have been. 
I don't know. He so, doesn't sound Mexican. Bill Mascaris on keys. Bill Mascaris. Adolf Hitler on vibes. <laughs> so for our... Uh, Santo on thrust. So for our stunt wizards, we have uh, Paul Haynes as King of the Wizards. Yes, yes. And uh, the late Curtis Hyde as the Prince of Darkness. Who is great. He's yeah. genuinely yes, he's great. He really is. He's a lot of fun in this movie. And I can see why... They were they they had to find a way to try to combine Grant Page coming to L.A. with an L.A.-based band, and so what they hit upon was we're going to pretend that Grant Page is the cousin of the the sorcery member who plays the Prince of Darkness on stage. Um, it works just fine. Uh, they could have almost just like left that out and it wouldn't have mattered as far as getting across the point of what we're doing here, which is we're just throwing a bunch of shit at the screen and having fun with it. But if you're going to pretend that we're following a narrative and boy, are we pretending, (laughs) we're going to say, okay, Grant Page is related to this guy. And since they're the two people who have the most charisma on screen, Maybe that was a good idea. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. It's not a bad idea. Now, here's the thing. They joke about the fact that, quote-unquote, Grant Page isn't a great actor. And, quite honestly, I don't know that he could necessarily deliver Olivier-style Shakespearean dialogue. But that's not what's required of him. What Grant Page is good at is what this movie showcases, which is putting his ass on the line in stupid stunts. Now, I will say, I, I actually think uh, Paige is not that bad. I think he's just oh, fine in this movie. He comes, I think he's his fine. charisma comes yes, across exactly. well, and he's just a very likable guy. I mean, when you mm-hmm. watch it, it's like, this is the coolest guy in the world. Look what he's doing. He's like hanging out with the babes. He's setting himself on fire and going through windshields. He's hanging out with the rock band. He's wearing two jackets and no shirt. That's exactly. right. Exactly. What more do you want? Well, see, that's the thing. Sure. Mostly, mostly <laughs> all Grant Page needs to be is himself, and that's what he does. He's got charisma to burn. It, it the, ca- the camera captures it brilliantly. And so he's a joy to watch. And he's obviously, he's, cl- he's clearly smart. One of the things that the film kind of, kind of shortchanges is the real work that goes into setting up the stunts that he's doing. They make, there, there's several points in the movie where it's very clear where he's kind of talking a little bit about all the work that goes into calculating how to not kill himself doing these things. Yeah. And you can see that they're kind of alluding to the team that he has around him that helps him, you know, measure out things, do the math, figure out what, you know, what the tensile strength of whatever cable or rope that they need to have is going to need to be. All of the things that are going to go into how long is this burn going to last? How much oxygen do I need? All the things that you have to calculate out to a very strong, a, a strong safety measure. All this stuff's going on, and he clearly has people around him who are helping him out. But this is a movie, so they're backing off of the details on that, but you can kind of see the broad outlines of this because he does emphasize several times that, you know, there's a lot of work that goes under this before anything happens, or he could die. Here's another thing to think about. He's actually an Mm ex-commando, so, like, as far as, like, the rope stuff, he's very good with knowing how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's probably where the climbing comes in, so he's... Even before he's a stuntman, he's already kind of very well-versed in certain things pertaining to being a stuntman before he's a stuntman just from his time in the military. Well, and it's clear he's obviously a very good free climber. We see him doing that not just on cliff faces, but also on the sides of buildings repeatedly where he's not attached to a wire. There's no line. He is just free, he's just free climbing up or down a building or a cliff face. Now, one thing, though, and you're, I have to disagree with you on, there is one safety thing 
in place to keep him from falling that you don't see a lot in this movie. What? An invisible chimp. Uh, uh, everyone, I'll be editing this out of the film, out of the podcast because, uh, as you can tell at this point, Mr. Hudson has has found a way to wedge his <laughs> beloved invisible chimp into a show that has shit all to do with zoo animals, visible or not. <sighs> Pray tell, does the invisible chimp have a jetpack? Not in this movie. Suspended from a drone, pray tell? Again, not in this movie, but later on. <laughs> you never know what that little fellow's going to come up with. No, I never figure you know, what you're going to come up with. If you look up in the sky and you see a chemtrail, but you don't see a plane, could be the invisible chimp. <laughs> could also be some psychotic, you know, third world, God, no, flat earth, ridiculous theory come to life. Who the Don't fuck insult the invisible chimp like that. <laughs> I will insult the invisible chimp every time you bring him up because you invite the insults. <laughs> How dare you, sir? I dare every time. Now, oh God, you've got something to say now. What? Well, I just want to say let's let's move into the cast a little bit. Let's do that. We oh, well, 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 I tell you what, before we move into the cast, I, I, I want to stretch out this thing about Brian Trenchard Smith because okay. here's the thing. I'm a big fan of Brian Trenchard Smith. And to be honest, once he came to America, this was his first like attempt to be to, to kind of break into the American filmmaking process. He, he didn't really make it over here until a few years later. Yeah. But honestly, he... He's a better filmmaker than the movies he ends up making all throughout the 80s and 90s, especially the 90s, because he kind of became famous for making a shit ton of sequels to other people's films. And to the point where he ended up he ended up making movies that are sequels to movies I didn't even know had more sequels. Okay? I knew there were I knew he did like Leprechaun 3 and 4. And you know, I forgive him. It's okay. Not a big deal. I knew he did Night of the Demons too. You know, I've, I've seen it. I'm not going to... It's okay. It's all right. It's not terrible. But I had no freaking idea that there was a a fourth Porky's movie. There's no. a fourth... Really? Por- yes. Now this is... You're burying the lead here. I'm this not should have been the first part. In How the, did they continue the story? I thought they wrapped it all up. It's a prequel. Ah, well, that is the prequel. Just like Star Wars, it would exactly. (laughs) Let's back up and fuck everything up. Yes, exactly. It's called Porky's Four Pimpin' Pee Wee. I'm not kidding you. Have you ever heard of this? No, I've never heard of it. Came out in 2009. I had never heard of it either. There was a fourth Porky's movie. Bob Clark's name is on the screenplay. He's one of the many writers credited. I will not blame him for this film exi- film's existence, though. I have too much respect for Bob Clark. I'm sorry. I just won't. But Jesus Christ, how do you go from bring the, being the Brian Trenchard Smith who made Turkey Shoot, Dead End Drive-In, BMX Bandits, all the stuff he made in Australia, to being a guy making the fourth Porky's movie that no one's ever heard of? Well, plus the continuity that is all off in this, because I need to see it, because Pee Wee... Clearly was not a ladies' man. No, and yet before the first Perkins, he was apparently a pimp. How did this happen? I do not understand it. I think that probably the first mistake was that they had to recast. (laughs) And so if it's not the same actors, I'm not going to believe. Well, I doubt it would be. Pee Wee looked to be about forty in the first. I know. (laughs) (laughs) These are the oldest high school students of what ever didn't see. So a a couple things about the movie and the production, like. 
uh, Trencher Smith had to make a deal with a Swedish company who Dutch 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 company. I, I apologize. You are right. Dutch. I was not reading. I was. We, just we don't want the Dutch mafia that. coming in here to kick our asses for getting that detail wrong. <laughs> well, I was. I was not looking at my notes. I was guessing, and I, I guessed wrong. But uh, <laughs> you just you just envisioned tall blonde women and went with that, right? Yeah, it, it, it basically because he dealt with these Dutch producers, they they brought in Monique Van de Ven, yeah, who uh, they had to rewrite the script around her being a witch. That's not a problem because that yeah. actually that works she, perfect. She, yeah. she yeah. was really good in the movie. She's I, fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen another movie. I actually like what she does in this movie. I've seen her in some of uh, Verhoeven's films that she made. But yeah, but uh, he was just said it was a film that went from a six page treatment to stereo answer print in four and a half months. That is no way to make a feature. <laughs> when you see the film, you will an- it will answer why. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he makes no but Tr- Tr- Brian Trichard Smith does not make any bones about the fact that. The film is, uh, it is what it is, and if you find it entertaining, good. But otherwise, you know, other than that, it's like not the best calling card for a director who's trying to find other jobs. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the movie was shot in 15 days. Yeah. There was already foot- a lot of footage of their stuff. There's a movie he did called Danger Freaks he took excerpts from. Uh, yep. There was um, Death Cheaters, which was made before what? this. Great fucking movie with Grant Page and another guy that like Buddy Stuntman Adventures. Yeah, great movie. Um, Mad Dog Morgan with Mad that. Dog Mad Morgan, Dog Morgan yeah. yeah. Um, that that stunt's incredible. Uh, the, I, I to this day, I, the fact that he nearly killed himself doing it the first time and then healed up and came back and did it again. It's like, well, go, go ahead and set me on fire and throw oh, me he, off the cliff. He was know? back two hours later. It's insane. Yeah, you yeah. can see him all bandaged up. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And uh, the car scene was from Gone in sixty seconds. Now, that was the one thing, I'll be honest, I understand why anybody would want to put a section of that original car chase from Gone to 60 Seconds, because uh, Gone to 60 Seconds, the original film, uh, avoid the remake, it's not worth your time, but that original film is not much of a film until you get to the last 45 minutes, where it's a 45-minute long car chase. That's the last 45 minutes of the film, and you could fast-forward through the previous, like, hour of the movie and just enjoy the incredible car chase that goes on in that it's amazing stuff but trimming it you know trimming some of it down to stick in your movie is it's, it's kind of like i love the movie too but maybe just talk about it <laughs> it's like you don't necessarily need to steal from that movie to to enhance what's going on in yours and is there any truth to the rumor that gone in 60 seconds is also the name of the rod barnett sex tape uh, no, it's gone in 35 seconds. Okay. It was timed out. Okay. Now, I, I, I insisted that they should include the period of time that was actually involved in foreplay, but I was ruled against. So, Rod, Rod let's not lie. We all know you're a two-minute man. I'd love to be a two-minute I'd love to be a two-minute man. What are you kidding? That would, that's a marathon. I'm a, I'm a sprinter, dude. Sprinter. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. This isn't a, a film you ever follow for the narrative. We could talk about the narrative. We could talk about the 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 the. I think we've actually talked about it. I think we've given like two lines to it, which is more than the film bothers with. This is a movie that you describe perfectly. I think as a party movie. It's exactly what it is. Yes. It's you can dip in and out of it. You can watch it with half your attention on something else. <clears throat> you can slowly get drunk and pass out in front of it, and it wouldn't matter. 
people could walk through the room and they're going to stop and be like, what the hell are you what watching? What the hell am I watching? Somebody yeah, say, stop rock, and they're going to think that you didn't get the title right. And they'll come back 10 minutes later and say, did you change movies? What is this? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Same movie. Stay moving. <laughs> I would describe stunt rock as shapeless but thrilling. It's kind of an ADHD film filmmaking tour de force. If you are suddenly finding yourself bored with the fact that someone just set themselves on fire and threw themselves off a cliff, hang on, eventually there'll be a band playing in front of you and your attention will be reset. It's, it's nearly plotless. It's episodic. It's really, ex- it exists to feature Grant Page doing crazy shit, which is great, and sorcery playing on stage and showing you what they could accomplish when they were in their 70s heyday. And sorcery, by the way, of course, is the they got lucky and got the perfect band for this thing. Yes, they they were close. I don't I don't know how close they were to getting Foreigner. I mean, even at that point, Foreigner was big enough that they probably couldn't have afforded them. Well, the the thing that apparently blocked Foreigner from being in the film was they were on tour. Yeah, yeah. They said we couldn't do anything until after our tour, and they had to have the movie ready in June. Yeah, and you know they had to start shooting in March. Yeah. I, I think mean, that would have been would have been terrible. So no, Foreigner's lame. Oh yeah, I used to um, love to make fun of Foreigner because I think Lou Graham looked exactly like Larry Fine from the Three Stooges. He did. And I used to sing all kinds of songs like "I want to know where Mo is." <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid he'll poke me. <laughs> and then there's feels like the first time that Mo threw a pie at me. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's evaluate the two different parts of this movie separately. Um, what is your for both of you? What is your favorite part of the film that involves the stunt work of Grant Page? What's your what's your favorite like one or two stunt pieces that he's involved in? Ooh, that's that's a hard call. I would say the Mad Dog Morgan bit is pretty awesome. Okay, yeah, yeah, and also from a great movie. Um, also, uh, the the dune buggy stuff, which, by mm. the way, he built that dune buggy himself. Yeah, that's some great Butter, stuff. Was yeah. it Buttercup that Butter he called Cup, it? Buttercup, yeah. what they called it, yeah. Yeah, just watching him, just that random footage that they interspersed throughout the movie of him driving around the Australian, what, sand dunes near, near a beach on that dune buggy. It's like, there's a couple of points in that where I think it's gonna like he's gonna like nose in, he's gonna nose himself into the freaking sand at some point or another, but he never manages it. Grant Page is a man that knows no fucking fear. Oh no, let's Apparently just be not. honest. I, I have I've just never seen somebody that just does knows no fear. He gets injured. Oh, okay, well I'm fine. Back to oh, it. Yeah, spend some time in the hospital, heal up. Eh, what's yeah. next? I was always impressed with some of the smaller stuff that he did. For, don't get me wrong. My favorite, like, holy shit, that's a cool stunt stuff, is the transferring from one car to another at speed. I've oh, yeah. always been impressed by that kind of stuff, and especially when you can tell that this is just being shot by two or three cameras. He's just going from one car to another while they're still in motion. That's great. I love watching that kind of stuff because it is as dangerous as it looks like. And... He's just cool, calm, and collected going about it like he was like he's done it five times that day already. Well, even with the Mad Dog Morgan thing, he only like burnt his right arm up to his hand. Yeah, you can see the bandages said, on him when he comes back. Yeah, he's just sitting there with no shirt on and his cast over his arm, drinking a cup of tea, talking mm-hmm. to somebody. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, no big deal. A tough dude. 
Yeah, my favorite stunt is, um, I mentioned it briefly before, it's where he comes through the windshield of the car. Oh, yeah, that's the one where it's in flames. Yeah, yeah. And they shoot it like extreme close up and slow motion right. where there's no doubt this guy's fully engulfed in flames. Right. You can see it, and you can see him from two or three different angles. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, even Brian Tudor Smith, who has set himself on fire as well, says doing yep. fire stunts is just really cold because yeah. of the gel that the you stuff put they on. put on you. Yeah. yeah. And what I love is that you can actually see them prepping Grant for. Yeah. I, forget, I think it's. I can't remember which one of the fire stunts it is, but it's like you can see that glaze on his face because yeah. it's like okay, he's he's protected. He's not going to get harmed, and every part of him that is burning is actually coated in something underneath him that's going to protect him. Yeah. But at the same time, this shit can get out of control. Oh, yeah. Because if he doesn't reach the the point at which, if he doesn't like hit the water, then his team's got to rush in and smother it with a blanket. There's no other way around it, or he can't actually hurt himself. And another crazy thing about those cliffs that he was doing that dive on uh, mm-hmm. through the rope, if you landed at a certain place, the, the, the tide would shoot you underneath the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. And you would drown. You, and you would drown. Yeah. So he had two, he had two full dangers to worry about. One yeah. was making sure he hit the right spot. And he was going off. The, he was going off the cliff backwards. So everything had to be in place, and he had to go. Oh off no, of we're it. talking about two different things. Sorry. Oh no, I'm talking about the one where he was on fire and going, and Mad going Dog backwards. Morgan. Yeah, where they, Mad and, Dog then they, and they use it in the film, rolling it backwards as part of a nightmare sequence. I'm thinking the two different sequences, like the beginning where he's going down the rope on fire. Yes, yes, yes. That that's the one that has the thing that you could be sucked under. But he's uh, the uh, the one he's falling backwards into, the uh, the rocks. He has yes. to hit that particular spot. Yeah. Because, and this is the thing they didn't show in that, and you can find out uh, you can find out by doing a little bit, little bit of reading. They did have scuba divers under there just in case some shit went down, which yeah. is part of his team, because he could have gotten sucked under, and they weren't sure if that was what was going to happen. Because in their first test of doing it, something went wrong. Yeah, they're like, eh, we're gonna have to have some more safety measures here, or he's gonna yeah. die. Yeah, which you understand. Yeah, it's. It's good stuff. It's it's an insane effect in the movie when if you know in, in this movie and in the Mad Dog Morgan itself because mm-hmm. you know he's supposed to be shooting out of the water and onto the cliff, but he has to do it backwards. Well, here's the thing: I thought that at a certain point in the late '80s he had retired, and then I did some more reading and found out no, he didn't actually retire. He just would only do things occasionally and was like coordinating other stunts for different things. He was still doing stunts at live presentations. For like award shows and stuff like that, into his seventies. We know uh, they said on the, uh, one of the commentaries on the umbrella edition that I have that for his eighty-fifth birthday he wants to roll a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is yeah, cool. that was on the Kino commentary. And and, yeah, and by the way, we should tell the people he's still alive. Grant Page is still alive to this day. And he apparently he can still stunt drive just like he used to, but he lost an eye to cancer. Oh God, really? I didn't yeah, know that. He lost one of his eyes to cancer, but oh, he can still drive like a bat out of hell. And yeah, but he had no depth perception. I'd be worried about that. Nah. Stay out of his way. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get in front of the car. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I do want to mention the commentary track on the Kino edition. That's the one I've got. Is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Brian Chichar Smith is always a delight. He's and, fun. Oh, yeah. He's always fun. And his wife, who plays the reporter in the movie, is mm-hmm. on it. And then... Grant's on it, and it's it's a real treat to listen to. Yeah, that's the first one I have on mine, and the next one is uh, with him, uh, one of the producers, I forgot who it was, and the guy that played uh, the agent, Rich, uh, Richard Blackburn, the guy that plays a sleazy, sleazy agent. Yeah, he was a member of the, he was a member of the ground line. And also, um, he co-wrote Eating Raul. Who did? Richard Blackburn. 
that's oh, right. That's right, because he, he was part of the group. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, co-wrote yeah. Eating Raul, so. He, he's got my eternal respect for that. Yep. <laughs> Holy crap, that's right. Okay, well, we've, we've talked a little bit about the Dutch actress who was kind of put into the film because, well, this movie's being financed by a Dutch, Dutch producer in the first place, and hey, more power to Dutch producers who will finance an idea that Brian Trenchard-Smith had in the freaking shower. Good for him. Well, one thing, you know, when I was watching the commentary and you know watching the movie, they were just talking about how good of an actor she is. Like, look at how she fills the space. Like, you know, yeah. just doing just movements. Like, it, you know, everything's natural, but she's filling space. Like, say, uh, after they see Sorcerer, I think for the first time, and like they all drink that wine, which I'll get to that later. It's a, <laughs> I actually had to look up what it was, but uh, oh, yeah, it's right here. Uh, She's like walking around, just kind of playing with the wine glass while she's talking. Like she, she's very good at just you know doing things that are like like natural human movements. Doesn't make her sound like a like a canny kind of actress. She seems no. very. She's obvious. She's obviously trained and has been on screen before and understands what plays well to a camera versus what would play well to a live audience. Yeah. And the other thing is the 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 rope stunt she did jumping off the building. Yeah. That was all her. No body double. Her husband was actually driving up. As she was doing it, and going, <laughs> what the fuck? That's my wife. Yeah, when you watch it, yeah, you can tell, and, and that's her. I mean, there's no, no that's way her. that's not yeah. her. And, yeah, and I think the only real, uh, the only thing that they're kind of faking in the film is that there's no way Grant did not set that up for her and make sure everything was in place because he's acting surprised that she's coming down the rope, and it's like there's no way Grant Page would be in a position where he'd put an actress in danger. There's just no way. He's the one who set it up. He's the one that measured it out. So that's that's it's it's fun that that, that they play it that way. But yeah, that's her. She's coming mm-hmm. down that. She's coming down the side of that building at speed. But I, it is neat to have the little dialogue there with uh, when the uh, the guys who are in charge of uh, controlling the speed at which she descends. Yeah. Where they're talking about you know okay we'll slow we'll slow it at this you know at this this is the point at which we'll start to slow it and then we'll bring it up short right here. Yeah. And so you can kind of hear that team working where okay this is where the safety procedures actually get involved in specifics about what's going yep. to be on camera and what's not going to be on camera. It's pretty cool. Now, what was this about this wine they were drinking? Because there are a number, okay. of, par- there are a number of party scenes and kind of interstitial pieces where these people are talking to each other and kind of interacting and trying to pretend that we're making a real movie here. Oh. Uh, what are you talking about with this wine? Okay, so after... Maybe it was a second sorcery performance. Or it's the one where the dog is on the table. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're yeah, yeah. spaghetti. The third, the third dog eating they're spaghetti. Feeding, they're, yeah, they're feeding the dog. So yeah. you see them all holding these like little bottles, and I went, "Wait, what is it?" They actually, in the second commentary I listened to, they talked about it. They're like, "Oh, there's product placement. It was Lancer's Rosé wine. It's a medium sweet, lightly sparkling wine." Okay. Uh, apparently, it was popular 50 years ago. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be honest to say it looks like hobo wine. <laughs> Bad Dog 2020? And uh, apparently it was uh, created in 1944 and it's still around. I looked it up. You can buy it if it's in the right place. Unlike Beth and I's favorite advertiser for Sherlock Holmes radio shows, Roma Wine, which, by the way, you can't buy anymore. This is still available? Oh, is it not Roma yeah. Wine? What is it? Petri. Petri. God damn it. Fuck. I got it wrong. I wonder. You're right, it's Petri wine. I wonder and, if it's better or worse than Spody. Who the hell knows? By the way, who the hell would want to know? <laughs> who wants to like do the taste test between these these ancient, no longer existent wines? Well, 
ancient. I mean, wine gets better as it ages, doesn't it? I mean, maybe somebody's got an old bottle of Petri or Spody or Lancer. <laughs> God save Hey, Hud, you want to be on Spring Break forever? Sure. <laughs> Let's try <laughs> something. You, you, y'all, y'all can try it out. I'll be glad Let's to do listen. It. I don't I'll be do it. We, we, I, we, I project. I, I, I project. Projectile vomiting. <laughs> we, we tried two different types of Spody. Oh, wow, really? And yeah. How did that go? <laughs> Not well? <laughs> the red is awful. The white is okay. Oh, well, okay. That's good to know. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. There's someone else in the room that's shaking her head vigorously. They're both gross. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to have an audience for the podcast. <laughs> They're both terrible, you're telling us? Mm-hmm. You know I'm going to take your word for it? They're pretty disgusting. I mean, I don't like wine, but, you know, the, um, wa- yeah. the white was more drinkable. The wine was obviously not going to kill you immediately, is what you're yeah, saying. It's definitely hobo wine. Oh, Spody <laughs> is definitely hobo wine. It comes in what looks to be a milk bottle. <laughs> okay. A plastic mil- milk you've, bottle. You've at least sold me on the presentation. This sounds nice. The presentation's <laughs> kind of funny and hilarious, so you kind of have to buy it. You're like, why am I buying this shit? Because it's funny. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's gnarly. <laughs> It's funny for a minute. For a minute. <laughs> Which is the s- sequel to Rod's sex tape. Hush the room. Spurdum's quickest. <laughs> Let's talk about the music generated by the band Sorcery. Now, I have my own personal favorite song that they perform in this film, and I'm curious. Um, first of all, obviously they wrote a song specific to this film. I really doubt they'd had a they'd had a song called Stunt Rockin' before they ever... Uh, Stunt Rocker. <laughs> Stunt Rocker was not a song that they had in the pocket before they uh, were in, in, enjoined to be a part of this film. It's, they might have. <laughs> Sometimes things like that happen where you've got something and there's just... It's like Lou Gehrig dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. I mean, it's, isn't that weird? Yeah, I know what it's really the weird. That, but I know that it's, it's like a zillion could, to one when you think. They could have had a song called Stunt Rocker, and then they get a call. Hey, you want to be in a movie called Stunt Rock? I'll be damned. It's like it's, we were made for this. It's, it's, honestly, it's almost as if somehow magic occurred and it wasn't staged. Very strange. 
So just I, in general, I blame the king of the wizards. Oh, I would all, well, I would I would blame the prince of darkness myself, but you know that's just the way I go. So with sorcery on stage, I got to admit I, I I love the music, I really do. But uh, they do weave stunt rocker in and out of the film pretty effectively. It's almost like a secondary theme song for the entire movie. Is that the beginning of the end? Yep. So here's my question though. Out of all the songs they perform, which is your favorite individually? Sacrifice. That's mine as well. Yeah. I think Sacrifice the best just kicks so much ass. I personally think the Stunt Rocker is your best song. Really? No, it, um, uh, the Sacrifice is nothing to laugh at. That is a great song. But mm-hmm. Stunt Rocker just it does it for me. See, the thing is, the thing about Sacrifice is that it is such a memorable song. It has a great hook. There's no way to forget it once you've heard it. And it's just one of those things where I want I want to I want to hear it again as soon as they break away from it. Now I will say this: I think Sacrifice itself is more representative of the band than Stunt Rocker is. Yeah, yeah. As far as what you're going to get with Sorcery, but once again, my favorite song will still be Stunt Rocker. Well, here's the thing: we've already talked a little bit about how some of the songs feel as if they're they're a little longer than they necessarily need to be, but that is because. It's not just a band we're seeing on stage. We're also being treated to a full stage show, a magic show that's part of their stage performance. And so a lot of the extensions of the songs, those long periods in the center of the fil- of the, the, the songs, are background noise, they're background music, essentially an underplay of what's going on as, as we watch these wizards battle each other on stage. Yeah, they have to time it exactly to what they're doing on stage perfectly. Right, right. And, that's, and honestly, that's a lot of fun. Uh, it would limit the... Well, I don't know. We're, we're all fans of, of, uh, of scores and uh, scores for different movies. Um, hell, I think we all, to one degree or another, collect them. So it becomes a question of whether or not what they're producing stands on its own without the visuals. But luckily, as far as the film is concerned, that really isn't a concern. Now, uh, this is something I, I, I mentioned earlier, and uh, I guess now would be the best time to address it. Um, I personally think that uh, about you know three quarters of the way through the movie, when they get to the long magic parts, uh, Mark of the Beast and Wizard's Council. Yeah. When you first see it, it doesn't bother you very much. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm watching all this crazy shit. But then I've watched it probably at least 10 10 or more times now. That's where it really starts to drag. Okay, okay. And musically, my only opinion of that is I just feel like they could have at least done something a little bit more interesting. It's like I know the spectacle is taking, you know, the front seat there. But musically, it still could be more interesting than what it is. Well, I can see that. But at the same time, you do have to wonder, as, as, they're, as they're composing the music, there's a question of, how do we want the music to possibly distract from what's going on on stage, or do we just want to enhance it? Yeah. So it becomes this play back and forth of trying to decide. And maybe playing live in front of audiences is where you make those kind of decisions long term. But of course, then again, uh, the, the band... The band's prior existence lasted from 1975 to 1987 yes now during that period of time there were a number of changes in the way they presented the stage show and of course none of us ever got the opportunity to see them live that's for sure because it's not like there were a lot of chances to do that but 
now that they're back, now that they're they've reformed and we have the opportunity possibly to see them in the future, I think it's kind of interesting that they would have all that experience. The returning members would at least have the knowledge of what they learned from that period of time about how best to structure the stage show so yep. that the music better enhances what's going on without feeling like what you're doing is watching uh, someone keep time to pass the time while something's happening in front of other in front of an audience. We've talked about favorite tunes. What do you think about sorcery in general? I I love them. I th- I think they're a lot of fun. There sometimes there's some things that are very basic about what they do, and I'm, it's just you know they're they're more of a sound of the time. Yeah, yeah. But I mean you, it, they're they're fun. You you can't deny the fun. Like listening to the record, like a, a you know the the record finally got reissued, mastered at proper speed just recently. Okay. Um, really, there's only one song on the record that I think is just absolute garbage. Everything else is fun. There's a song called "The Bird Song" and it's a ballad and it's really awful sitting on the record. All you had to say was ballad. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's called "The Bird Song." That's really all you need to know. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. But it, it's it, they're fun. Listen, they they're definitely a band of that time. Um, if if you're listening to the music itself, you can definitely hear that they were influenced by Queen because you can hear that layered vocal sound. Yep. And Queen, I heard Queen and Deep Purple. The oh, definitely Deep Purple. Locked definitely Deep Purple. Yeah. Both of them, yes, exactly. And I think, in a way, they were ahead of their time because looking at their stage show, they were way ahead of like stuff that like Alice Cooper and Dio would be doing in the '80s, where their stage oh, show yeah. started to turn into magic. And honestly, these guys would have been perfect as a regular gig on the Vegas Strip somewhere. Maybe put oh, yeah. them in a casino where you, they do two or three shows a day like that. Mm-hmm. I think they would have been a hit. Well, I mean, they were already. I mean, as the way they the way they envisioned the band in the first place is kind of a combination of Kiss and David David Copperfield. Yeah. So, getting getting to them, uh, if they had been able to establish themselves to having kind of a residency in a place like Vegas, where they could set up even more elaborate mm-hmm. stage stuff for the for the Magic Act, God only knows what they would have been able to pull off. And, be, yeah. and you know, because once you, you know, one of the problems that you would have as a touring unit doing this kind of stuff. Is making sure that the venue can can uh, can be bent to your needs for the things that you're doing on stage, and when you're a band, it's a hell of a lot easier than uh, when you're trying to pull off illusions in front of a live audience. So, I'm real. I'm I'm really impressed with the band. Here's the thing: the '70s were such a an experimental and weird time. It's something that we often forget, even as we cast our eyes back to that period. Even those of us who absolutely love that period of music and what came out of it, we often forget that. Everything that happened in that decade was part and parcel of a large experimental movement of people realizing coming out of the 60s that you really can kind of start throwing things against the wall and seeing if this is going to work or not. There was a lot of experimentation in what could happen. I mean, we're talking everything from uh, the way in which heavy metal became a force that moved through the decade and then exploded as the 80s went on to prog rock to experimental things, acid rock turning into different things as the decade moved on. There was a lot of, let's try this and see if it works, experimentation that was going on in the 70s, and this is part of that that grew, that grew out of it. You couldn't get the large kind of, you mentioned, you mentioned Queen earlier, the kind of experimentation that, that they were doing, especially in studio, 
is not something that you would have seen necessarily until it became something that could happen because of what was being allowed to happen and was actually being successful. This is weird stuff. You're combining strange things. Kiss being a great example of, hey, let's combine, you know, let's pretend that we're this, you know, this, this, that, or the other on stage and then present a, a larger-than-life stage show that, that tends to back up all of this stuff. But they're far from the only band that was doing it, and this seems like another, sadly, kind of a dead-end part of this. This is a branch that kind of withered and died with this one particular band. I don't know of any other band that attempted to put together a magic show and combine it with their stage show. Um, you know, the, the bad thing about doing what they were doing is how do you top yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Which is, have, of course, if you're a touring band, like if they continue, they'd have to have a new show every time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and have to be bigger. I mean, Kiss ran into that eventually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, is if you're, pre- if you're presenting yourself as not just a rock band that's then on each tour going to, of course, need to have new material, you're also having to present a stage show that changes as you go along. You can't do the same magic tricks that you went out on tour and did last time because your audience has already seen that. What's your point? So, they kind of were setting themselves up for failure, but there was no way to really know that when they when they did it because who the hell knew if it was going to work or not? Now, the argument becomes, did it work or not? Did for me. <laughs> it works when you're watching it, doesn't it? But... I mean, it's goofy, but it's, oh, it's a lot goofy of fun. But see, that's the thing. Now, I agree. I was going to throw out the word goofy and then ask either of you if you would describe it in that way. I would describe it as kind of goofy, but at the same time, it's not the kind of goofy where I cringe away from it. No, it's definitely not cringe. No, it's no, not, no, not cringe. Not I mean, you can tell they're in on the joke, and yeah. yeah, there's a guy dressed like a wizard chasing the devil around on stage. Right. So I then mean, you have this keyboard player that wears a mask constantly. Right. And so this is a, this is what I find amusing about it, which is that everybody involved is telling a joke. But everybody is in on the joke, and they know that you are too. The, the invitation to the audience is, we're all in on this. We're yeah. here to be entertained. And that, to me, is what makes their stage work come off as really fun. They're not asking you to really completely buy into this. They're asking you to buy into this in the same way that you would buy into going to see a magic act or a band presenting something that is larger than life to begin with, like bands like KISS were doing in the 70s. They're not breaking new ground, but they are taking those different elements that were present and being used experimentally in the 70s and seeing if they can combine them in a different way and see what might come out of it. It's fun. So uh, I did want to jump back a little bit with uh, talking about sorcery. I want to talk about the studio for a second. Well, okay, sure. The reason I wanted to is, for those of you not familiar with the recording, no band ever fucking records that way. Oh, no. Oh, you no. don't sit in a stool three feet away from the microphone and sing the song. You don't swing a microphone in the middle of the studio no. while you're singing. Well, you also don't record and live with all five members of the band playing in the same space. It's just you, not done can do that but not but it's the not, way it did yeah but it's not going to sound clean because there's going to be bleed from mic to mic yeah so two things i think when they're doing that uh the second song in a studio the singer is doing the the mic the mic twirl he's performing he almost hits himself in the head yep well there was a point but, at which i wondered if he was about to whack one of the cymbals in the drum kit 
And one thing you guys may or may not have noticed is the dogs. Oh, that are in the studio? Yeah. So they're sleeping while they're playing, and they wake up when they're not. <laughs> no, which is not what would happen. <laughs> Unless these dogs are deaf, and they're reacting to just movement. Which, hey, could be poor doggies. Oh, we've had audiences like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, nothing but dogs? <laughs> no, they, they wake up when we're done. <laughs> oh, thank God it's over. I just, and whenever I, whenever I look at the studio scenes, I'm just like, I'm just like, no, no band records like this. <laughs> at least no real band. It's, 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 but it's still a music. And the other thing is, you know, the camera keeps panning by the control board. Yeah. You never see an engineer. Oh, I know. Well, don't get me wrong. Those shots are cool. Yeah. Because they do show you the control board. And that's always, I, I always find that interesting. But yeah, at the same time, it's like, where's the guy who's like setting everything in place and making sure that it all sounds worth a shit. But then again, at the same time, then you see the band before and it's like, no, no, no. Where are the baffles? Where are they? Why aren't the why aren't the guitar why aren't the guitar player and the bass player separated physically by by barriers so that there's no bleed? It's just, I don't. And why are they three feet away from the fucking microphones? I know. It's like, what are we doing here? Are you begging for feedback or what? It's like, come on. I mean, they were powered by magic. <laughs> maybe, maybe there was a magical spell. They kept everything in place. You could be right, Hudson. You know. Of course I'm I right. overlook completely <laughs> the possibility of magic taking a hand in the recording process. If only I had considered that as a possibility, my questions would be moot. It's a good thing I'm here. You'd look like a dummy. I know. <laughs> I, I, honestly, right now, I feel as if I'm the biggest dumbass what done ever pushed play on a fucking digital recorder. Okay, no, that would something. be me. Go of ahead. course, Steph. Go. You know why you couldn't see the engineer? Why? It was the invisible show. Oh. I retract. I retract my okay for you to speak. Steph, you are no longer you are no longer allowed to speak. See, that's two chips for the price of one show. That's that's four I chips. I was waiting for Hudson to say, but I'm like, he didn't say well, it. See, I already got my chimp in there. So. <laughs> See, that's 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 two chimp. That's that's four chimps too many. We need negative two chimps to get back to zero. None. That's a Rick Steiner math. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Rick Steiner. Scott Steiner. Oh, Scott Steiner. Right. I'm going to employ Grant Page's team to do my mathematics for me so that I'll live through this burn. <laughs> All right. Now, to sum up, what the fuck is this other than a film? <laughs> it's a goddamn lot of fun. Yep. Okay, now I'll give you this. I find it entertaining. I mean, it. I, I called it shapeless. It is. There's no film here. There's not even a mockumentary here. The, the structure is essentially, what is it that is stuck on the wall that slowly gravity pulls to the floor? It's fine. I do enjoy big chunks of it, but it doesn't feel like a movie at any point. I'm entertained by it. I've now watched it three times in my life. I feel at this point that may have been two times too many, but that's okay. <laughs> I've gotten enough entertainment out of it that it doesn't matter. But which one of you bastards decided we needed to cover this film? Me. I blame you. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. You are now blamed forever. 
I proposed doing this a long time ago when we first met. I said, oh, would you ever want anybody to come on your show and talk about stunt rock? You're like, oh, absolutely not. Never. I should yeah. never approve that film to be on my show. <laughs> and you will note, you will note that I have put this off for as long as humanly possible. I finally succumbed to peer pressure. Something that I thought I'd given up long ago. I never smoked. I never drink. Okay, that's a lie. Okay, drink it right now. I sh- yeah, sh- yeah, we, don't we don't tell people that alcohol is the only way I've gotten through this fucking thing. But the, <laughs> I will say this: I do find the film entertaining. I don't know that I can ever call it. You know, let's put it this way: even within the the filmmaking of Brian Trenchard Smith, this didn't even make my like top. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the movies that he's made, but that's because before he left Australia, he made some really fun movies. I really enjoy a lot of the stuff that he made before he became the guy who got the tap for every sequel to every shitty property that ever existed in in Hollywood. There's a lot of great movies. I mean, uh, Man from Hong Kong, Death Man Cheaters, from, exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially Man from Hong Kong. I think is a, I think it's yeah. just a fucking blast. When when you when you can point out that you damn near burned a, a James Bond actor to death making your fucking movie, and the actor was like, "Ah, oh, come on, I'm back. Let's keep going." Well, De- Death Cheaters is like the ultimate stuntman adventure buddy movie. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, I, I like I said, I mentioned before, Dead End Drive In. I love that's the first one of his films I saw. I saw that one back in college when I, it was I, on VHS. I think it's a great, great movie. It's it, so much fun. It's a movie I need to reevaluate. I I just remember not liking it, but I could change my mind. Honestly, I think it's the kind of film that, I mean, you can, you can maybe you see it at the wrong time, reevaluate. I think a rewatch probably will will light it up because it's a great kind of post apocalyptic film. Yeah. But it but it kind of slides in under the radar as to it being that kind of movie, and yeah. it kind of creeps up on you. It's 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 a it's a well structured movie. I really enjoy the shit out yeah. of it. Well, let's also not forget about Turkey Shoot, the first one all three of us yep. did together. Yep. Turkey that's Shoot's a, a blast. That's a great Always so good. And speaking of rewatches, one little detail in the film that no one's pointed out, but early on there's a scene where they're walking down the street in Los Angeles, um, Grant and his cousin, and they pass by a marquee that says, Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones, Fifth Smash Year. That's some oh, my re- God. That's some rewatching. That's a real marquee, so... Yeah, that's true. I do remember what you're talking about because mm-hmm. at the same at the same time that happens, I wondered what street they're walking down, and if that is like known known for like porno theaters. But I think that this was still that space of time where p- porno chic was was a viable option for people in like you know where you would have theaters alternate between more mainstream films mm-hmm. and pornography. And I just wonder if that was like. What was going was, on there? If that was a porno theater, I don't know. Well, it was shot in '78, so I'd say like the porno chic thing was still. It was pretty, still. It was probably still yeah. in vogue, but it's like there, there were theaters that did flip back and forth. They would, you know, they would they would have mainstream stuff and X-rated stuff, and it would go. It may, may change from week to week, but I don't know what. If they were in their fifth week of showing that, I fifth guess they year. were doing. I guess they were fifth. Year, they're doing well. Yeah, that's some rewatching. Yeah. So. Imagine holding over. That's impossible these days. Holding over a movie for months? Mm-hmm. That just does, I mean, not for the biggest hit in the world is that going to happen. Well, that well, was those, just those, those films. Yeah. 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 yeah we, you have to wonder what those prints look like. <laughs> well, I mean, they look like shit. 
You have to think like with with the porno films, like what was the last two really big things that were made that were in theaters? And I can think of that. What, what was that multi million dollar Mitchell Brothers movie? Um, I don't know. I, I never got a chance to watch it. They used to have an island video. Blank on it. it, it it's their la- their last movie. Yeah, I can, now I'm drawing a complete blank. And um, then Debbie Does Dallas, which is 1980. Yeah, and Caligula, okay. kind of. Oh, Caligula is Caligula. Yeah, Caligula. Debbie Does Dallas is probably the last really big. Yeah. One that like was like in the mainstream. Like that's a title yeah. that you. Say yeah, that and today. Caligula Caligula doesn't really fit that bill because that was they were trying so fucking hard to be a mainstream film with just porn pieces that you know. Was that Mitchell Brothers' The Last Days or something like that? Was it a period I, piece? I don't know. Yeah, no, that, I never that, they didn't make it. that movie. Well, no, there was a there was a, <laughs> there was a there was a porn pirate movie that I know that got like a lot of. Oh, that uh, was a lot later. That had Jim Jameson in it. Okay, okay, okay. Um, they did one called um, Sodom and Gomorrah: The Last Seven Days. That's the one. That was I in remember reading about that. Okay. That was a seventy-five. I thought it was a seventy-nine. Hold it, hold on a second. So. The Mitchell Brothers film you're talking about is Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Yes, that's the one. Okay, that was produced in 75? Yeah. Would that have been a film big enough that it was still held over until, say, the, the early 80s? Probably not. Nah. Okay. But l- let's continue. i got a little bit more about the Mitchell Oh, well. What, what, <laughs> oh, we're still recording. Okay. What hast thou to say, sir? Well, this, the film that um, uh, Bobby was talking about was probably Sodom and Gomorrah, The Last Seven Days, which came out in 75, but it really didn't end their career, but I mean... Autobiography of a Flea with Annette Haven and Paul Thomas came out in 1976. That's and, a title that rings a bell, at yeah. least from my reading. And that was good. And then their last really big budget film was The Graffensburg Spot, which had Harry Reams and Ginger Lynn in it. It had Annette Haven as a sex therapist. And you can only see that if you can find a copy and edited. Tracy Lords had a sequence in it, so ah, they've had to cut okay. that down. Okay. But Amber Lynn was in it. I think Nina Hartley had a small scene in it, if memory serves. Okay. There's a scene with Harry Reams and Ginger Lynn in a pool that's pretty good. And <laughs> <laughs> the way your face, the way there's your like face some, twitched there's there. There's like some underwater camera work in that that's yeah, actually yeah, kind of amazing. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to say because I've heard of the infamous Weird Wednesday trailer that had this. Is it the underwater cum shot? Yes, it is. <laughs> they used to play that trailer at Weird Wednesday. I never saw it. But they said they 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 were uh, in, in the Weird Wednesday book. They were comparing the audiences over the years. And so the first time they played it, you know, the audience that I was with. Well, once again, I never saw. I was never there for that one. But I heard I heard about it, and they said everybody's laughing hysterically. Then maybe like five or ten years later, they tried to play it again, and everybody's like really quiet. Like, what the fuck did I just see? Bullshit. And they're like, well, we probably shouldn't do this. Well, there's a difference between the if the mood is kind of a party mood. Everybody's going to have fun with it. But if the mood is more serious, it becomes a question of, uh, do I want to acknowledge what we just watched? Well, that's, that's the thing about Weird Wednesday was it, it, at least when I went, it was kind of a party vibe. Good. No, you're, which you're, which you're, is the best way to go with you're exploitation go- films. Yeah. You're going to have fun. We And we did, but they just said the crowd had changed and they just didn't find that funny anymore. Like I say, it all depends on the crowd, the mood, and the vibe of the the vibe of the evening. It can change. Yeah. It can change in a minute. But yeah, yeah. Well, at that point too, the film had aged some, and and it's not cool to laugh at classic films. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when the world was in black and white, shit just it wasn't funny anymore. These younger people just don't have a sense of humor. They don't no, have a they sense don't. of humor. <laughs> I don't know what it is. 
I have no idea. <laughs> but they might like stunt rock. They might like stunt rock, <laughs> mainly because every few minutes it's something different. I mean, it's got it's got music, it's got magic, it's got stunts. It's a no, whole new thing. It's stunt rock. The only thing it's missing, and this is something that is a little. When we tell you this, I'm going to give you one piece of information that, not that we've withheld it, but once you know this, it will kind of twist your vision of what you're thinking about when you realize this is an exploitation film. This movie was rated PG. Understand that in the 70s, PG didn't necessarily mean what PG would mean by the early 80s. There were PG movies in the 70s that had nudity, that had sexual situations, that had things in it that would immediately get you an R a decade later. But this movie really doesn't cross the line. If this movie involved, I don't know, just some random airplane-style burst of nudity, it would almost have every exploitation base covered. But it doesn't have that. Yeah, but you don't... For this movie, you don't really need no, any I'm not saying sex. you need. Yeah. I'm not saying you need it. I'm saying that it's exactly pitched as a PG film because that yeah. allows you to kind of slip under the radar for a lot of things. You just didn't see it because it was the invisible chimp and the invisible lemur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm starting to feel ganged up on now. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like at a certain point, even the felines in the house are going to start taking swipes at my groin. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think I like any of you motherfuckers anymore. <laughs> and, <laughs> Well, hey, at least we didn't mention Grunt in the wrestling movie. <laughs> Bullshit you didn't mention. <laughs> of course. I think it came up several times. I think it came up at least twice before you gratuitously placed it in the audio file again. <laughs> Fucker. You know what's going to keep happening? We're going to keep doing it until we cover it. <laughs> until I cut them off. Until there's no longer an attempt to make me listen to these two crazy fucks at the same time. Oh, you'd love it. Whatever. Oh, yes, Jesus do. Christ! It'd be like it'd be like being held down and beaten with a fucking stick. Nevertheless. Oh, this show without us would be like turd without corn, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. A hell of a lot smoother. <laughs> Friends, neighbors, countrymen, is there anything else that we need to say about Stunt Rock before I blissfully put this to bed? I will say something. Being that this is my idea, and thank you, Rod, for finally... Acknowledging this? Yes. Uh, I'll also thank Keto for finally putting it out, because that's the only reason that Rod agreed to it. I will say this. I love the Blu-ray. They packed it with extras. They give a lot of context. They talk, they talk with almost everyone who survived to this date who's still alive. Great extras, good package. If you're the least bit interested in stunt rock, Kino's disc is worth seeing. And it's got a beautiful slipcover also. <laughs> and speaking of slipcovers... You get it cheaper without the slipcover, so go that way. If, if you're even a bigger nerd like me and have a, a read your free player, you want to get the umbrella version with the 17-page comic and even more extras in the Kino. What's involved in this comic book? It's a comic book of the movie. But uh, that, that's what I'm saying. Was this something that was recently produced? What was yeah, it it's recent. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, I had to have it. And it came up. <laughs> it came up for the Kino. And uh, I actually, I think I have Death Cheaters with a comic. And there's another thing I'm getting from Mrs. Hazard for my birthday. It also has a comic yeah. from an um, Umbrella. The um, I, this this Umbrella t- this Umbrella team putting together comic books is it's pretty cool. It's almost like this weird Severin thing of commissioning new uh, uh, new novelizations of films that never had them. Yeah, which I love. I'm all for it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But anyway, uh, for those of you who have not watched Stunt Rock, it is a love letter to stuntmen from Mm -hmm. the 70s. It's so much fun. You can watch it drinking a couple of beers with your friends. You can have it at a raging party. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun movie. It's hard not to have fun with it. Is... Is it a great movie? No. Oh, fuck you, it is. <laughs> it is one of my favorite movies. Really? Okay. Yes, okay. it is. See, there, there's a top ten list that I wouldn't mind having a conversation about. Yeah. It is It is one of my all-time favorite movies because you just don't get bored. No, And really, you're having yeah, yeah. fun. And it's just, it gives you exactly what you need. But the movie is almost geared towards, like, me in 1978 or 1979 and just looking at it going, this is so cool. <laughs> like it really appeals to that little kid in me. And that that's why I love this movie so much. So and as an adult, as a kid, you're going to love this movie just because it's so much fun. And you just have Grant Page, who's awesome. Yeah, he is. Well, you, you reminded me of one thing that we kind of shortchanged about mm-hmm. this film was that it is a wonderful little time capsule of what L.A. looked like. In 1978. Yes, and there are some beautiful shots of when Grant Page is on um, buildings or climbing across a rope, and you can see the whole whole L.A. skyline. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And in the commentary, they actually they actually said, "Oh, that was a really good day in L.A. There wasn't that much smog." Yeah, and you can see because you can see for miles. It's amazing. But anyway, I just I personally recommend this movie. It's so much fun. Like, if if you don't have fun watching this movie, then what is wrong with you? It, it's 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 gonna keep, it's gonna keep you distracted. I'll tell you that, yeah. Mr. Hutz. I agree with all of that. I think it's a blast. I think that um, you go in with the right mindset. It's the ultimate party movie. Yeah, it's pretty pretty darn great. It's a lot of fun, and I want to be Grant Page. <laughs> I do too. I could never have been athletic enough to be Grant Page, but boy, oh, I would, no, I would, I I would love I to were. have been. Yeah. yeah, God, I would be great. And yeah. pretty soon, I will have a stunt rock poster hanging in the living room. Nice, nice. Yeah, these nice. days, a big stunt for me is just like getting out of a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say taking a poop. I thought, I thought you were, yeah. yeah, were going to say uh, a, a successful bowel movement. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's exactly what I said. It was my last poop. <laughs> <laughs> I saved it so I could prove to people that I had one. <laughs> well, friends, neighbors, uh, it is a fun film. If you are the least bit interested, I do recommend checking it out. I don't know if there is an easy streaming version of this that you could catch online, but we do recommend both the Umbrella and the Kino Blu-ray releases. Just own it. Fuck yeah, streaming. I mean, if you get the Kino version on sale, it's going to be $10. Oh, yeah, you're going to catch it for 10 bucks, Easy, yeah. Well worth your time. I mean, I think that's about what I paid for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because it was on sale. Folks, Stunt Rock. You're not going to see anything that's exactly like it or even anything that comes close to it. It is a unique piece of cinema history. It's kind of worth your time. If you have any curiosity about it, you're going to you're gonna get some enjoyment. You're going to have fun. Yeah, yeah. So, friends, thanks to everyone. Glad we finally did this. As long as I put it off, I knew if I just waited long enough, I'd find the right mindset, the right evening to be able to do this well. 
So, for those who think I've gone crazy and have finally talked about a movie that they don't understand why I'm speaking about, you missed that about five years ago. But you can write to us anyway. TheBloodyPit at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of Stunt Rock or Grant Page or Sorcery or what your favorite Sorcery song may be. Hey, any of these things are good fodder for, you know, extending the show out and having an email section. I don't give a shit. And should we give out another email address for one of us so we can count all the requests for <laughs> Grunt that come in that he doesn't tell us about? Because We should, yes. I think the, I think the mailbox is flooded. You said them. something about five votes, and we know we got five votes for Grunt the Wrestling Movie. I think, honestly, you people are insane. <laughs> and emails don't count if I delete them. So <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. So here's the next question. Who chooses the next movie? Me. I get to choose the next movie. And we're going back to the Horrorville, baby. We're going to talk about a goddamn horror movie next time. And none of this bullshit where I'm being dragged through the mud and talked about as if I've never had sex. I have had sex. <laughs> I didn't say you haven't had sex. <laughs> I was the one that said you were a two-minute man. Yeah, it's just the women with you that didn't have sex. <laughs> oh! oh! There's a woman at the table who I've had so much sex with that she feels free to taunt me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> friends, neighbors, countrymen, when we, this th- this trio of psycho lunatics reconvenes, we will be talking about another Italian horror movie. I've not decided which one. I kind of want to go back to the, to, the, to the end of the 80s. How about Hell of the Living Dead? You know, that would be fun. Uh, I was kind of leaning back toward uh, one of the, uh, the the filmarage things from the late 80s. Did you want to do Metamorphosis? I kind of wanted to do Metamorphosis, but now I'm kind of rethinking because there's a part of me that eventually I've never covered. I've never sat down and really covered a Bruno Mattai film, okay. and there are several from the early 80s, things like Rats, Night of Terror, and stuff like that that I would love to cover. So I'm kind of weighing my options. I, I have a suggestion. You may not get the joke. What is? Maybe have a fried chicken. You're right. I don't get the joke. What are we talking about? It's uh, uh, the one that's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. I have it in the other room. It's, oh, uh, yeah. I've Knights... got that. I forget the name of it. Fish. That's a fun thing. I do enjoy that. That is. It's like Silent Terror or something like that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, a.k.a. Night oh, Killer. Night Killer. Oh, yeah. fried chicken. Maybe, maybe. That's, that's a quote from the movie that everybody knows. Oh, well, none of us did. Apparently not. I, I was hoping there. he would, like, or at least Hood would. What was the actual title? Oh, it's a, oh, Jesus Christ, it's a Faragasso film. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought it was a Matei film. Oops. No, it's not Matei. It's fr- Honestly, it could be... On, you, you, I'll bet Matei is involved them, with it. I was about to say, now. you could put them both in a blender to be the same goddamn movie. Uh, maybe so. Your your suggestion of Hell of the Living Dead is a good suggestion. We'll see. It just came out 4K overseas. Well, we shall see. The next time the three of us talk, it will be an Italian horror film because these two fuckers have a tendency to drag us off into the weeds. So I'm going to reel and us you back. you love it. Sometimes I love it. <laughs> you love it all the time. God. It's like <laughs> asking me to thank my rapists. Okay. <laughs> Friends. I know. Was that the that, third sex that, film? That, 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 that got dark really fast. <laughs> Man. I'm going to blame it on the alcohol and not my shitty attitude. 
But, friends, neighbors, <laughs> Bobby Hazard, John Hudson, thank you very much for whatever it was that we just did. The pleasure is all yours. Exactly. <laughs> God knows you smiled enough. <laughs> People, once again, thebloodypit at gmail.com, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, everybody. See you.